Hello, and welcome to The 1909, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at some of the state news' biggest stories while bringing in new perspectives from reporters who wrote them. I'm your host, Tessa Osborne, and today we'll be discussing the retirement of MSU head football coach Mark D'Antonio, a story from our Community Changemakers print edition, and fossil fuel divestments at MSU. MSU head football coach Mark D'Antonio retired Tuesday, February 4th, after 13 years. Here to talk more about his retirement is sports desk editor Chase Michelson. How are you doing today? Hey, Tess. I'm good. Good. Um, so what was your initial reaction of D'Antonio's retirement? Well, my initial reaction was I was pretty surprised um, just because he had said in November that he had planned to be on the sideline to open up the 2020 season. And somewhere in between November and this past Tuesday, uh, that changed. And so whether it was on-field struggles, the Spartans have been 27 and 24 in their last four seasons after being 36 and 5 the previous three, Um, whether it's the ongoing uh, Curtis Blackwell lawsuit um, against the university that D'Antonio was deposed for five-plus hours in January for. Uh, He claimed on Tuesday in his press conference that that had no relevance. I think that that's maybe kind of naive to believe him just because that's a difficult thing to deal with. And he mentioned uh, he's going to be 65 um, in a couple months, and I think that he's kind of decided that he wants to take some time away because being a football coach in the Big Ten is really a 365-a-day-a-year job. What was the tone of the press conference like? Yeah, he was pretty defiant. Uh, that's kind of been his MO at Michigan State in a lot of ways, and it was that way um, during the press conference. He answered a question about the lawsuit, and he said, you know, zero. No, no relevance whatsoever. He was very clear, direct. He got into kind of a verbal altercation with ESPN's Dan Murphy, who was asking about um, the lawsuit and about uh, al- new allegations that had just broke earlier that day in the Detroit News that um, Blackwell was alleging that D'Antonio had committed NCAA violations during his tenure, and uh, he kind of cut him off and said, you know, we're not, at, we're not talking about that. This is a celebration. And Murphy was sitting two seats to the left of Becky D'Antonio, so that was an interesting last couple minutes of the presser uh with them being so close to each other she was kind of glaring at him and it was this very awkward intense moment um in a press conference that was kind of awkward because michigan state has framed this as a celebration as a um as a tribute to a to a to a great coach who had led michigan state to such highs on the field things like that but the reality is is we don't really know right now um what happened in the last four or five years, whether it's really something that should be celebrated or not. Do you think the ongoing Curtis Blackwell lawsuit had any factor in his retirement? I think so. Uh, He said no, Um, but I think that that's kind of difficult to believe because that's going to cause a lot of stress. And the fact that he retired, you know, only hours after that allegation broke is interesting, right? Because, you know, he talked about how the reason he's retiring now, as opposed to at the end of the season, was because in the last couple of months of recruiting, he's not been able for the first time in his career to feel like he could commit to the entire career of a recruit. He didn't feel like it was fair to the recruit to continue to do that. Um, and I think there's probably some truth to that, but we don't know why that is. Is it just that he's getting old and he's tired of the grind? 
or is it that he feels like there's pressure coming down the pipe and he thinks maybe getting out now, that's the national perception. I can tell you that right now. The perception outside East Lansing on a national scale is that D'Antonio had a $4.3 million retention bonus that kicked in last month. He waited until it was over, made his $4 million, and said, I'm done. And whatever happens to the program, I don't care about because I won't be coaching. Mm-hmm. That is that is the perception nationally. So I don't think there should be any ambiguity about that. Yeah. And who who could be an eventual replacement of D'Antonio? So the Detroit Free Press reported on Tuesday, almost immediately after uh, D'Antonio's retirement was announced, that the, the frontrunner is Luke Fickle, who is the coach of Cincinnati. Um, and before that, he was a player and then defensive coordinator at Ohio State. That's a similar path. Uh, Mark D'Antonio was the defensive coordinator at Ohio State and then the head coach at Cincinnati. It's going to sound familiar to Michigan State <laughs> fans. Um, he's probably the front runner. Former Michigan State defensive, quarter, pa- defensive coordinator Pat Narduzzi, who's the coach at Pitt, said he used a Wolf of Wall Street meme on Twitter to say, I'm not, I'm not effing leaving. I'm not leaving. So he seemed to be taking himself out of consideration for the Michigan State job. He said, I'm focused on Pitt. I, I guess we don't have any choice but to take him at face value for that. There are other candidates that have been discussed. I think Fickle is the guy that, that that's the guy Michigan State wants. Whether mm-hmm. he ends up making that move, the Big Ten is a better conference than the American Athletic Conference, which is where Cincinnati plays. Um, he'll make more money. I don't think people say it's a lateral move. I disagree. Uh, the chance to compete in the Big Ten East is attractive, but the reality is you have Michigan, you have Ohio State, and you have Penn State. Those are three brands that are bigger than Michigan State. D'Antonio was able to compete and excel and beat all of those teams during his tenure. It's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. It's basically never been done before. Um, so it's a massive challenge for anybody who comes in. And that's just the reality. I do probably think it will end up being fickle um, because he's the guy that makes the most sense and he's the guy that it sounds like the higher-ups want. Um, It's just a question of whether they can make it happen. Yeah. And uh, what's D'Antonio's legacy that he will leave here? It's complicated, right? Because he's the all-time winningest coach in the history of Michigan State. He won 114 games. He took Michigan State to their first Rose Bowl in 25 years. He took them to the college football playoff in 2015. There's only two Big Ten teams that have ever made the college football playoff. Michigan State and Ohio State. That's it. Michigan's never made it. Wisconsin's never made it. Penn State's made it. Just Michigan State and Ohio State. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. However, (laughs) there's a lot of questions about the -the off-the-field stuff. Yeah. And that's going to plague it. Um, I think... Fans are going to look back on the good old days, particularly as more time um, passes. There's been frustration the last four years because it hasn't been the product on the field that it was from 2013 to 2015. That 2013 to 15 stretch is the greatest stretch in the history of Michigan State. I think it's better than the 60s because the level of competition is so much higher. It's yeah. so much more difficult. And to mm-hmm. go 36 and 5 in the Big Ten East during that time, or I guess the last two years were in the Big Ten East. But to go 36-5 in the Big Ten in a three-year stretch like that, that will never happen again, I don't think, at Michigan State. So in that sense, he's going to be considered probably the greatest coach in the history of Michigan State. But as this fallout continues, and particularly the Austin Robertson stuff, there's a moral quandary about recruiting somebody who had a history of sexual violence and letting them come on the team only to have to kick them off during their freshman season because guess what? 
they committed more sexual violence. Yeah. So it's tough. It's complicated. And I think that's something that Michigan State is going to have to grapple with for a long time. You know, Eli McCown wrote a really good column um, for the State News about this, about, you know, he was a kid who grew up a Michigan State fan. He's a freshman. And he looked at D'Antonio as, you know, this godlike figure, right? Because when you're young, that's how, that's how you see athletes and coaches. And kind of figuring out, well, no, he was a person. He was flawed. And that's hard to kind of, like, see. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I don't know exactly how fans are going to process that, but that's, that's what fans have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and then can you talk about the column you wrote about D'Antonio? Yeah, I wrote about the press conference on Tuesday. Um, I talked a little bit about it, just how he was so defiant and uh, kind of didn't... His For 13 years, he said, when a challenge comes, hey, we're facing it head-on and we're going at it, right? Uh, he had an actual heart attack in 2010. It was back on the sidelines within a month. Won a Big Ten championship. That's who, that's who he is. And so he, was, he had that streak, but then also you could see that he was tired in a way that I hadn't seen him up until really the last last season, where he looked tired. He looked like he wasn't having fun anymore. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to kind of admit when you've your whole brand is based around embracing the challenge, loving the fact that it's difficult, right? To say, hey, this is hard. I don't want to do this anymore. He said, I want to uncomplicate my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's what it is. When you're all of a sudden go from working 365 days a year to working in an ambassador role in the athletic department for a million dollars a year, I, I might add, that's a lot easier. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chase. Thanks, Tessa. I appreciate it. In our latest print edition, we highlighted changemakers in the MSU and East Lansing community. Here to talk about her story on a group called Black Girl Fitness is staff reporter Jada Penn. Thanks for being here, Jada. No problem. Um, can you talk a little bit about the group and what inspired you to write a feature about them? Yeah, so with um, Black History Month, I just wanted to do a feature story on a black organization that was promoting change on campus. So I was asking around, and someone told me about Black Girl Fitness, and I was like, you know, that'll be great. Black Girl Fitness is just an organization to promote health among minority women. So, uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Awesome. And what was your favorite part about reporting on this story? Um, I think, honestly, after everything was over and just, like, them reading the article they were really excited and happy about it and they was like we love 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 the article thank you for the opportunity so I think that's what I liked most about it but when I was at the event like just seeing them how dedicated they were to working out and just like being together I think that was pretty cool too yeah and since this was part of our community change makers edition can you talk about how this group is a community change maker yeah, so they um, help minority women to get fit, and they also do community service events. So last semester, they went to um, the bread. They did the breast cancer awareness walk, and like the things that they sold there, they donated uh, to a breast cancer charity. And they also went to the Great Pumpkin Run at Cedar Mill, Cider Mill, whatever it is. And um, they helped with that, and they like gave out medals and um, just small things like that. They did other stuff too like face tattoos and face paintings and stuff like that. 
Um, but yeah, so like the other members, like they were really excited about just being together and working out and like having a support system. So I think that's like the main thing that they does. That's great. Awesome. And is there anything else you'd like to add about this story? Um, I just like... I just think that they're, it's different. I mean, you know, a lot of people, they don't like to work out, like, with other people Mm because they may be ashamed of their bodies or, you know, like, they don't want to see, they don't want other people to see them, so they, like, do it by themselves. But this group, like, just make you feel welcomed, and I think that's what I really liked about it, that they were very inclusive. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. The Association of Big Ten Students passed a resolution January 25th calling for the universities to divest from fossil fuel companies. Student government reporter Wendy Guzman is here to talk about it. Thanks for coming, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk about MSU's investments in fossil fuel companies? Um, Yeah. So right now, we don't, there's not an exact amount of how much MSU actually invests in fossil fuel because the definition of fossil fuel obviously can vary a lot Mm -hmm. but um overall the university has like a three three billion dollar like budget for investments um i do know that we invested a decent amount in marathon Hmm. which was one of the uh, main concerns that um activists have been aware of because they tend to in um do a lot of things with fossil fuels it was a hundred and Three million in 2019 invested in marathon. What do student groups calling for divestment say it would accomplish? Um, they really seem to care about the well-being of people. Um, Jake Nessel, who I spoke to, he worked at a camp um a couple summers ago in Detroit, and that's where a lot of the um marathon you know is, is at. And he was able to kind of just see um little kids that were suffering from asthma and different types of respiratory issues and it was because of where they lived because all of that was going on and so if this continues this can obviously spread to people that not only like live so close but just it can it can spread and it really can be harmful to people Mm -hmm. and you spoke to msu's chief investment officer dr Mm -hmm. philip zecker yes what was his response to those calls for divestment um so he was very um sure on the fact that the university does need to work towards sustainability but he didn't he doesn't think that necessarily cutting off all those investments with those companies is exactly the right way to do it a lot of the companies they invest a lot of money in them and then a small portion of what they're like is going to fossil fuel um related things so it would honest it would be more it would end up being more expensive for the university to cut all those ties and then find more um, like alternative companies to invest in so he thinks that what we should do instead is keep investing in the companies we're investing in but work with them towards more sustainable friendly investments if that makes sense and do you have anything else you'd like to talk about um yeah so they actually um national divestment day is on valentine's day friday the 14th so they will the msu divestment campaign will be hosting a rally at Hannah at four o'clock on Friday. Okay, awesome. Thanks for being with us today. Of course, thank you for having me.
Thanks again for joining us this week on The 1909, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at some of the state news' biggest stories while bringing in new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. You can follow us on Twitter at This News, on Instagram at State News, and on statenews.com. Also be sure to pick up our weekly print edition on stands all across campus. We'll be back next week to unpack even more stories. Bye!